1: Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by Andy Murray to discuss everything that happened on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review AEW Dynamite, Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, premium live events. We have wrestler interviews, hold roundtable discussions, and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Murray, mm. I suspect our opinions on Dynamite last night are going to differ because I feel like I'm the high guy on this show and you, I think, uneven.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of, my my happiness with the show overall or my opinion on its overall quality is kind of similar to last week. Uh, probably a mild positive if we're considering it as an overall body of work, but I had a lot of problems with some of the biggest stuff, particularly some of the biggest matches on this show, uh, which we'll break down. I saw... A lot of, uh, at least on my timeline, a lot of really broad enthusiasm for things that I wasn't as interested in. So, hey, it'll probably be a bit more of an interesting podcast if we disagree on a few things fundamentally rather than just going, hey, yes, everything is great. We'll probably have a fight if we disagree on the first match because... Oh, no, that was sensational. Well, let's yeah. get into yeah. it, it was brother, because this is
1: absolutely great. It was CM Punk versus Dustin Rhodes. Uh, they go about 17 to 18 minutes. It's sort of antithetical to the um, customary work rate banger. This was very, very slow burn. Very, very limb work oriented. And I thought it was absolutely tremendous. So they shake hands at the bell. They do tentative holds for the first few minutes. Uh, the momentum shifts when Dustin Rhodes rebounds off the ropes. It's only he and Shingo Takagi can. He flies at Punk Punk Ducks. And this is where the, the real uh, key piece of the story kicks in. Dustin jams his knee, jams his leg. And he is so goddamn phenomenal at selling this. Because it's not too histrionic. He's not really selling or acting as if it's about to fall off. He seems almost frustrated that he's made the strategic error. And every now and then, when he sniffs at advantage, his leg just crumbles underneath him. And you're not thinking, oh, this is what Dustin Rhodes does in every match. You're Mm -hmm. thinking, oh my God, how has this happened to Dustin Rhodes? You feel an inordinate amount of sympathy on his behalf. Uh, The match progresses. um, Dustin Rhodes targets Punk's arm. And basically everything in this match... Build slowly, burn slowly. Every spot logically precedes that which um, came before it. The work here is tremendous. The selling is so great. The pacing is measured so wonderfully that when you get the first proper high spot sequence, the cold red, you kind of buy that a change, uh, not change, there's no title on the line, but a shock could happen. And then in an absolutely great double bomb, bang, bang, Dustin finally closes his way back into it, hits the crossroads, followed by a pile driver, and I love getting worked. Yeah. When the storytelling yeah. is so rich like it was here and the pacing is so great, I absolutely love losing myself in the story, getting worked. I will happily admit that I genuinely bought that shock was forthcoming. The The timing of the kickout was absolutely superb as well. Um, during the break, actually, I want to point out there was some absolutely wonderful quick flurries of offense that I thought, are they peaking too early during the break? Is this like a really bad, atypical error of two, like, veteran, brilliant wrestlers because Dustin gets Punk on his shoulders and instantly crumbles to the floor, leaving that pratfall, like pin attempt that he'd sort of walked into. But anyway, deeper into the match, at the finish, they trade um, figure four and a reversal, and I thought they extracted the suspense of this wonderfully, as you'd expect. Uh, The finish arrives when CM Punk attempts to hoist Dustin Rhodes up um, for the GTS, but selling the fact that his arm had been battered throughout the match, and I think selling the fact that he tweaked his knee last week, he can't actually do it, so he decides to roll him up applies his full weight, a desperate pin attempt, and he gets the three. 18 minutes, the crowd were very slowly drawn into it. I thought this was genuinely great.
0: Timeless pro wrestling layout and storytelling, really. Um, and not necessarily even that updated for modern palettes outside of, like, the code red. I mean, it's this is the kind of match that when you watch it 30 years from now... And I'm not saying that it was one of the greatest matches of the year or whatever. Um, it was great, but, it you know, there's levels. Um, but if you watch this for 20, 30 years from now, it'll resonate just as strongly as it did today because they just relied on stuff that has always worked and will always work uh, with, you know, a couple of little flies here and there nobody was doing uh sunset flip power bombs in in 1970 um or were they maybe they were in France some of that french cat yeah, stuff yeah. is is mental um but yes uh, i adored this uh, i was everything i thought it was going to be uh, uh shout outs to you for calling it straight away the rope running the, the <laughs> on the preview podcast we did yesterday they did it in the first second of the match tremendous um you you put Dustin Rhodes in a position to do the two things he does best, uh, selling and show fire in the comeback. And uh, you can't really miss. Um, As he grows older, he grows more sympathetic. Uh, It's just a... This is cliche, but it's a natural thing for Dustin Rhodes. And when you put him in these scenarios, it can't help but be a tremendous success. I think he plays the overmatched, kind of broken veteran guy who's not going to give up because he's got so much heart better than almost anybody. And um, little bits and pieces like his is selling on offense was just tremendous stuff here. Uh, Early on, he had a few stumbles here and there. And then later on, even as you think he's getting the wind in his sails, so he gradually has these little comebacks that grow and grow and grow and grow. But he he falls short because he can't take advantage because his knee has been torn to pieces by this this punk guy who's taken advantage of him tweaking it early on. But little things like getting the wind in his sails from the 10 punch in the corner and then immediately falling off and going, ah, God damn it. Yeah. It's just little things like that make all the difference. This is in stark contrast to another match uh, that we might disagree on later in the show. Uh, A wonderful selling performance from Dustin Rhodes who will just rise up and do this like two or three times a year. Um, I thought Punk was excellent himself uh, in targeting and the finish as well. Like the extra element of... Dustin kind of trying to counter his way out of the gts as well but it slipped away because here's punk rolling him into the fall just really good measured pro wrestling storytelling uh not reliant on things that age poorly not reliant on explosive athleticism or, or state-of-the-art moves with a capital m um and a z at the end just a great time across the board uh lovely little show of respect the handshakes everything else They weren't punching each other in the face and and getting gritty and stuff. They just had a really cool competitive match with great selling, a story that always works, and uh, I had a great time to open Dynamite.
1: It was basically the Bret Hart match against the Giant and the only thing that Punk didn't do and he put his own spin on it he didn't I loved when uh, Bret Hart used to bite heads Yes, he used to, he used to bite yes. larger guys heads and he always used to play like away from the Hogan archetype where he just was in a fight and he had to use a strategy and sometimes he played it a little bit underhand to get to that so I liked Punk's unique update on that with his uh, Muay Thai background and the kicks it was all really tremendously done one more spot I want to put over before we get to the post match as simple as it was was there uh, with Punk's arm worked over there's a great great. spot where Dustin's on the outside. No, they're both on the apron and uh, Dustin shoves him arm first into the post. Punk is selling that. And then instantly Dustin Rhodes, it's sort of like, he works it like the opportunity has presented itself to him because it's an immersive fight that is being worked. Like it's an in the moment thing and not something that's really been patterned or rehearsed or discussed beforehand. Grabs the arm and just slams him to the apron by it. Just absolutely incredible. Everything connected to the next professional wrestling. Um, In the post-match, Punk retreats up the ramp. And this match kind of foreshadowed what I think will happen at Double or Nothing. He's played a bit of a dickhead heel at times against an old cowboy. Except he's got a new cowboy at Double or Nothing. As illustrated by a post-match stare down on the ramp. Now... Long-time listeners of mine will know that. Oh, hang on. This is a bit hypocritical because you spent a good year of your life absolutely bemoaning the fact that in NXT, matches were set up when someone would win, someone would arrive from the backstage area, stare them down at the ramp to create a match graphic rather than a build. The key difference here is this is just a little clue that the build is coming, whereas in NXT's black and gold era, it didn't actually exist. Um, Beyond that, um, we see footage from earlier today of Wardlow arriving at the arena mm. um, and MGF has solicited the services of Smart Mark Sterling as a lawyer who advises Wardlow that you, um, and there's a great little line here, to the closet, I mean, to the dressing room. He's been treated horrendously. It's a continuation of MGF being a dickhead sociopath. The security are actually smart enough this week to... Um, Prevent him from entering the arena. They anticipate what he's going to do. It's a lovely little wrinkle to the beat because otherwise it would take the piss yeah. with audience investment and how intelligent. Even that, even like the security can be intelligent in this company. It's really nice to see, and uh, Sterling delivers a message to MGF and it's eat pig. And um, we then get any thoughts on this before we move on.
0: Oink oink bitch is a, a very nice line from from the beef god here. I'll I. I'll save my more bigger picture thoughts on Wardlow until we get to later in the show, but it's it's cool to see him no longer just bubbling with rage. He's kind of happy at what's going on now because he knows he's in Max's head and these big grins and stuff are Isn't
1: awesome. it so much better as well when you know this, but no one has to say rent Free? Exactly.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> There's no cry laugh emojis going on here, good, yeah. is there? It's just good pro wrestling. It's just good because they are not they don't have to say the quiet part loud because the audience here isn't treated with something called intelligence and respect, and it's really nice. Oh, my God, speaking of really nice. Blackpool Combat Club in a trios match defeat Dante Martin, Lee Moriarty, and Brock Anderson, and this is such a great little trio <laughs> sprint. The general story of the match, you've all watched it, is that it's all so carefully balanced, and it should feel more obligatory and political in terms of the ratio of offense if you want to get really nerdy about it than it did. Young, inexperienced trio unit got a bit of shine to varying degrees of quality. Dante Martin looked way better than the other two. No, actually, no, Lee Moriarty Lee,
0: yeah, looked Lee way better good. than the other
1: two. Dante Martin had a few fumbles, but he can always... He's improvising a bit with Moxley.
0: It, it fed into the Bulldog, didn't it? Yeah. Like, the the slight stumble on the nosedive. It was like, oh, cool, Moxley has enough time now, believably, to adjust into the Bulldog.
1: Yeah, there was also a bit where I think Moxley might have been out of position himself, or that spot where Dante Martin does a sort of backflip from the second rope, yeah. but they adjusted for that ah, perfectly, yeah, like, yeah. really well done. But the general story of the match is that the young inexperienced trio, show a bit of fire, show a bit of skill, get their stuff in, and then they are summarily beaten up for daring <laughs> to oppose and compete with the Blackpool Combat Club, and it all leads to this fabulous sequence, which if you've been paying attention, and everyone has, because we don't need exposition to infer story beats in this company, Wheelie has been on this odyssey, To level up to the Blackpool Combat Club, he's shown a little bit more fire, a little bit more violence, a little bit more desire and intent every single time, and a bit more quality, more guts. It's all been very, very carefully measured to arrive at this awesome point where he, Danielson, and Moxley, in sync, in tandem, kick the heads in and elbow the heads in of the three inexperienced upstarts. The visual here was one of parity. Wheeler Utah is... Leveled up and is now not quite on the same level, but getting to the same yes. level of his two esteemed mentors. This was great for what it was. What did you think?
0: This was uh, such a WCW early 90s match, wasn't it? The established unit against free, just thrown together undercard guys having a fun sprint. Like you said, this was great for what it was. Like they, These guys understood the assignment perfectly uh, and had an absolute blast of a trios match. I think that on the it's an interesting combo of dudes right because brock anderson is in a tag team with uh, lee johnson and dante martin is obviously in top flight and and lee moriarty is paired with matt sidal but matt sidal's injured at the moment so it's kind of interesting that they put these guys together rather than going with their conventional tag partners but i uh, all three of the the defeated guys i thought had their moments like even brock he came in AEW and he still is to an extent just this kind of blank canvas of a guy who kind of vaguely looked like his dad vaguely. No, he really looks like his dad, of course. Uh, And of course has a famous surname, but when he, when the bell rang, it was like, okay, fundamentally this guy is fine, um, but he clearly needs reps. But now between this and the recent match with, with him and Lee versus FTR, he's showing like little bits of fire here and there. He's like, when he tagged in here, he was just leaping right into the fight with these terrifying men and their, and their young, terrifying prodigy. And so that was nice to see. I really appreciated that they gave Moriarty a bunch of stuff uh, in his hometown, because he's always over in Pittsburgh, uh, not to the Britt Baker extent, obviously. But uh, AEW, it's like, there's a lot of uh, hardcore wrestling nerds in this crowd, and they're going to recognize a guy like Lee Moriarty, who prior to AEW, comm- competed primarily on wrestling smaller stages. So, Watching him just go, nah, no, screw this, Brian Danielson, I'm going to fight you. Uh, working, was it was at a border city stretch he got out of a pinfall for a little bit of drama after kind of doing the, the John Silver thing of running at 100 miles an hour and wiping every single person out. That was really cool. Lee is great. I, I I really love him. The one major criticism you can throw at him, and it's very fair if you ask me, is that sometimes he's not that intense. Sometimes there's not a lot of fire behind what he's doing. And maybe if he wants to move on to the next level, perhaps he has to show that. Uh, here he showed that. And that was great. Uh, shout outs to Lee. I think he, he does a great job. And the... The Utah stuff continues to be awesome. You had the new attire this week, of yes. course, as well, which is good. Uh, it, it's a little more in fitting, it matches their their new white blood t shirt thing that I, I probably wouldn't wear. Um, but it fits the aesthetic, so yeah, this was just a, a great time. Uh, just some fun calories in the middle of your meal.
1: I know a lot of people had a problem with like. I think Scott Hall deemed it the happy guy tights where they're brightly colored and all the rest yeah. of it. But my favorite tweak was going from sneakers to boots. Yeah. It's like you're a Taking it seriously now. No. You're a yeah. wrestler now. You need to get the kit. Yeah. Little
0: yeah. things like that matter. Yeah. The sure? exchanges
1: with uh, Danielson and Moriarty were just absolutely tremendous Fantastic. as well. Like, absolutely great. Um, we go backstage. Adam Cole, Young Bucks and Red Dragon, the undisputed elite, feel like they need to turn around their fortunes. They've both suffered. Um, they've each rather suffered significant losses to FTR, um, Hangman Page, and Jurassic Express, respectively. They said they need to turn it around, so they issue, um, and the, it requires a lot of persuasion on the part of the Bucks. an open 10-man tag challenge for next week's
0: Dynamite. Yeah, interesting. I wonder who they're going to face. We'll find out later in the show. We shall indeed find out later in the show. Black T-shirts. They all look good in black T-shirts, these guys. I'll say that.
1: You're not very forthcoming with praise about this.
0: (laughs) I don't like the storyline to be completely open about it. Yeah, it's it's a a brand of melodrama that I find it very difficult to invest in. However, it is quite clear that the majority of people consuming this show are invested in it. So fair play, different tastes.
1: Indeed. And the next segment is the uh, Forbidden Door Super Show announcement, which we won't dwell on too much. Because, one, we've already covered it in the news, which you can, of course, access um, via our YouTube channel. That should be dropping imminently if it's not already out by the time you catch this podcast. And we are recording a separate podcast today about all the burning questions you most want answered. And I suspect yet more Dream Matches will be discussed. But what did you think, very briefly, about all of this
0: yeah gonna side swerve the awful discourse on on whether it fits the bill as a huge announcement and and the casual fan tm and all that bollocks um very wise of tony Khan to to understand that he is good at many things but talking on tv is not necessarily one of them uh so as soon as he dipped into his nine days voice it was good to see him just pivot over to adam cole and and jay white who are good talkers and have uh New Japan Connections. Adam Cole calling himself, what was it, the best wrestler in Japan or wherever it was. It's a really good sideswipe at the absent Kenny Omega to uh, the kind of thing that's going to reward you for paying attention when they eventually feud and Kenny's coming back. Um, Show fits the billing for me. I cannot wait for it. And it's going to be a mix of, of we've said this before, but it's going to be a mix of political tags and the big singles matches. And I think that's perfect. In another um,
1: thing that I read as an allusion to Kenny Omega. And I know he's said this before, and it's for heat because he kind of knows damn well that it wasn't him. Jay White's insistent that he single-handedly sold out Madison Square Garden himself. That could very easily be folded into um, a program with Kenny Omega, who can respond by saying... They sold all those tickets when they thought I was going to be there. Yeah. So I think we are getting Omega versus Jay White at that show. But, again, we'll go more in-depth on the podcast, I imagine, later. You um, have another backstage segment with Jade Cargill and the baddies section. Um, bef- and then before – Wardlow versus the Butcher. MGF and Sean Spears are appearing in the concession stand eating popcorn, <laughs> and MJF um, insists that Wardlow's a nobody. He'll come out, therefore, to know music, which is a great, great touch because obviously the fans are so with Wardlow at this point yeah. that they are going to chant his name, and you are going to hear them chanting his name as he makes his entrance just yet another Wonderful detail about the storyline. This first hour of dynamite I thought was genuinely tremendous. The match itself was basically what me and Murray fantasy booked and predicted and laid out yesterday (laughs) because that's the way you've got to do a lot of grunting, a lot of shoving, a lot of charging,
0: large bodies doing large body stuff. With
1: intense meathead yeah. faces Cave and Man energy. Fight, wasn't it? Caveman Cave fight, was is Man the perfect fight. summation yeah. of it. It ends when Wardlow just smashes him with four consecutive power bombs. <laughs> and after the match, Wardlow is cuffed away.
0: Yeah. Whoever's penning this stuff is a pro wrestling genius. Legitimately, I, I don't use that phrase lightly when praising anything. But the Wardlow character arc is so immaculate. Every single detail is on the money and is serving to make this guy moreover and to make MJF look more like a weaselly little prick in the storyline. It's little things like disdainfully throwing handfuls of popcorn down on the people below them and, you know, taking refuge in this safe spot away from the rampaging beast knowing that even though the security around Wardlow and he's cuffed, MJF and Sean Spears are still so shook that they have to completely distance themselves from the pig, as they've come to call him. Shout-outs to Wardlow for miraculously changing from a suit to his ring attire while handcuffed. That is quite the feat. Impressive, man. But yes, you're you're bang on the money about the, the, the new entrance music stuff. I thought when he was going out, he just looked like the, the baddest man in the world. He's just beat the most ruthless mercenary character in the promotion. He's handcuffed. He's smiling. He's flanked by... The 12 dudes it takes to restrain him people are cheering his name it's so awesome it's like how can you not be into this stuff and the match you know i i think you know if you gave them a couple more minutes they could have maybe had a more satisfying match but that wasn't the goal here the yeah. goal was to make wardlow look like the dude um maybe not the dude he's not the big lebowski he's not you know, getting his rug pissed on by anyone here. Um, but like make him look like the man. And that was accomplished. Like the butcher's work is so simple, but it's so effective. Like little things like the the where he where he whips them into the barricade back and forth between the apron and he immediately follows up with a clothesline. It's so simple and yet it looks like it just hurts like hell. Uh and of course the symphony is one of the most over things in the ring in the entire company. The goal here was to make Wardlow look incredible. It did that. Uh oh, I couldn't possibly find a complaint about this.
1: I couldn't either. And do you want to know what is, goes a little bit understated because as we said, the level of detail and just how well they are doing to escalate the story is that they are not making the guy sell too much. No, no, exactly. We've seen it in other promotions time and time again. Don't make your explosive powerhouse dudes sell too much. I assume he's going to do a lot of selling when in fact the MGF match happens, but if you don't do it beforehand, it will actually register as something that is in a plight, not just something you have to do because it adheres to a playbook. Uh, we get a quick backstage promo. It's typically great with Eddie Kingston. Um, talking to Daniel Garcia. uh, There's a revelation that there's going to be no one at ringside. All the um, associated parties are banned. I think this is a good idea, even if it's worked around, because we see a lot of schmoz activity in AEW, and I welcome any stipulation that prevents it just for a week because it can sometimes get redundant. Um, Up next, Disagreement City. It is the Owen Hart Foundation Cup Qualifier between Kyle (laughs) O'Reilly and Jungle Boy. There are... There are a lot of things to say about this match. You've seen it. I think Mm. a lot of people listen to our Raw reviews because they just can't be bothered to watch it. People listen to the AEW reviews because they want to see if we miss something or we can illuminate something that others haven't missed. So you've seen it. But the basic story nonetheless is that Jungle Boy is intent on proving to Kyle O'Reilly that he's a multifaceted and multi-skilled professional wrestler. We see sort of atypical bursts of offense. He tries to do... um, a lot of um, submissions with Kyle O'Reilly. Kyle O'Reilly is better, more experienced, and more well-rounded than Jungle Boy at this stage of his career, as was exemplified by The Finish, which was a clean win for Kyle O'Reilly at the expense of Jungle Boy, given the post-match. There was a little clue to suggest that Christian Cage, while a little bit avuncular in his body language, might have looked at this result avuncular. as... Uh, very nice. Avuncular, what a word that is. <laughs> but there's a small, tiny suggestion that He was more than willing to display to Jungle Boy, ah, you're just a little bit young for this. And that potentially might um, sow some seeds of conflict down at the line for what has been another remarkable long-term slow burn. Some of Kyle O'Reilly's counters here were tremendous. The crowd wasn't really with the match. I don't know if that's because of the strength of the match or lack thereof in and of itself, or if a lot of people... Echo the online, if you like, takes that Kylo Riley just hasn't exploded out of the gate in AEW. If it feels a little bit familiar because we've seen Kylo Riley and Jungle Boy interact in the ring a lot lately. For whatever reason, the crowd was a bit flat for this. I thought a lot of the work was really, really quite good. But how good could it have been if it couldn't inspire much of a reaction from the crowd? Ultimately, I expected more from this Mm. despite liking some of it.
0: Yeah, I didn't like this at all. Um, and I'll I'll preface my criticisms here by saying that I like both of these guys. I've loved Kyle O'Reilly for ages. I put over his hipster act in Ring of Honor on the podcast yesterday, and I think it, over the particularly over the recent year or so, Jungle Boy has grown immensely. Uh... Some of his performances, in particular in the freeway tag at Revolution, the guy's outstanding. And I think that those who maybe didn't see the immense babyface potential in him previously, which I think was very fair, uh, are now maybe starting to come into light on that on merit. But I thought this match was extremely confused, really confused. Um, The story was, for me, all over the place. We were told... By the announcers that the, the yarn here was that Kyle O'Reilly has won this in part because Jungle Boy has grown a bit overconfident and he's worked a bit too aggressively and maybe he's, he's you know acted with his heart in places in this match where he should have acted with his head and that's led to the defeat but I don't think that was reflected in the action at all. Um, the things I did like about this match were Visually, it was very impressive. Uh, There's some... uh, Jungle Boy's always got these great, impactful bursts. Uh, His stuff sounds like it's hurting dudes. Uh, I don't know if that's because he's laying stuff in or if it's because he's just really good at slapping the thigh. Uh, Either way, it looks and sounds good. And uh, Kyle O'Reilly's transitions between various holds, um, particularly when he was going for the the wrist locks and stuff early on, very smooth, very slick. Visually, a very impressive match. But story-wise, Kyle has this wrist lock in for a good... You know, five or six minutes early on, broken up by the odd little burst and stuff. But he goes back to it, and he goes back to it, and he goes back to it. Even later in the match, he goes back to it. When did Jungle Boy sell any of this at all? For me, that's what dragged this down. There was one point where Kyle had him locked in for about two or three minutes, uh, and then Jungle Boy immediately just threw into some elbow strikes. And it's like, come on, completely nullifying for me uh, any of the good work that Kyle was doing in control. Um Later on, they flirted with the idea of maybe doing some leg work Again, nothing came of that. It's just, it's very frustrating. And uh, there are different types of selling in pro wrestling, but this never came off as a guy who had been hurt, for example, by the limb work and was fighting through it. Because he never he never shook the arm out and went, ah, damn, I shouldn't have done that. Or, or it took a moment to acknowledge the work that Kyle was doing on top. So the opening five or six minutes were completely unnecessary for me. And then you... You get this story of Ah oh, Jungle Boys, uh, you know he, he countered a lot of Kyle's stuff. That's good stuff, whatever, whatever. Um, but this idea that he got a bit too excited or, or, or overcooked himself a little bit too much, and that's why it lost. Well, that only works if he has substantial pieces of control.
1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.
0: And he didn't like Kyle dominated long stretches of this. So for me, this was two really great wrestlers having an unfortunately poor match because of the layout and the psychological choices that they chose. I didn't choices that they chose. What a great redundant as redundant as the limb work in this match was. Um, but yes, as, as our resident selling fetishist, I thought this was kind of bad, unfortunately.
1: I wouldn't quite go that far, but I can absolutely see where you're coming from. I thought the... Yeah, I've already given my take, so you know what I thought. (laughs) There's something about... It it wasn't so much the lack of selling that bothered me, because I think it's been firmly established at this point that Jungle Boy is resilient. That's his primary character trait, so I Get it to an extent. They can't take the piss with this. I know he was kicking out of belt shots not too long ago. That particularly pissed me off more so than this in the moment. There's still something about Kyle O'Reilly. He doesn't have the same snap. Yeah. The same snap. Though I do agree that individually he was the better performer in this match. Uh, There's an interview with MJF backstage with Sean Spears, and he calls back to the snake um, reference, which was itself a reference to the uh, Summer of Punk, the original one, in Ring of Honor. This is a lovely sort of segue to bring out Jake Roberts, whom he has paid off to use the services of Lance Archer to attempt to destroy Wardlow. Um, Jake Roberts said a lot of things, <laughs> and I didn't really understand what he was saying. And I think if he cut a perfectly coherent promo, I would still be thinking, why do you look like Shane McMahon? This is all a little bit weird. And in another weird development, right... Is that and I know he's pro wrestling royalty and all the rest of it, but I just he's sweating a lot and I just yeah, yeah. It was very distracting. It's
0: very fair, yeah. It's very fair.
1: Uh it's a little concerning actually. You shouldn't be that sweaty if you're doing maybe he was late for his queue and yeah, I don't know. I don't want to speculate. The weird thing is, is that they kind of know that he kind of can ramble and talk nonsense. And then Lance Archer just ruthlessly undercuts him virtually <laughs> every single time they appear on screen <laughs> together. Now, shut up, Jake. <laughs> yeah, words yeah. to that effect. It's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing. So they've been kind of, I don't know if this point, if they're teasing the fact that Jake and Lance Archer eventually are going to have a breakup, because he's been mugging them off yeah. for like
0: years at this point. Yeah, remember when he stripped his shirt off? And wrote like some wrote something on his back. I can't remember what it was. But. Is it
1: is it meant to be like that? Jake, like Lance Archer, such a primal, impulsive, angry destroyer <laughs> beast that he can't be controlled by the psychological manipulator. Is that? what I just never know what they're going for here. I,
0: I think that's what they're going for, and it's just not really landing because it does, <laughs> it does come off as Lance just going shut up, old lass. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> <Well, yeah. laughs> who cares, man? It comes off as like someone who's really bored by the overlong ramblings of a man with no patter, uh, cutting him off and going, oh, just shut up, being a bit of a dick about it, um, which I don't think is what they're going for. It's just how it comes off on TV. Um, but nonetheless, uh, look, the the mid-card monster character, the butcher, did not get the job done. So you go to the upper mid-card monster character in Lance Archer. This is another simple, slow escalation of this great story. And uh, Lance and Wardlow could be a lot of fun. Like Lance is... I like Lance in a lot of scenarios. Really liked the Texas death match. Really liked his show-opening uh, G1 Climax match in Dallas the other year. Oh, that as was well. awesome. Just phenomenal. Like, he's he's a really good pro wrestler. But in short, manic burst matches... I think he's like an elite tier squash artist, but like in, in, in shorter windows, like the kind that, that make the most of Wardlow skills. He is, he's world-class. So this should be say what you will about Lance's booking. Um, I know a lot of people don't like that he eats so many losses in high profile matches. Uh, and I think it's a fair conversation, uh, but he's going to do a really great job here and he's very intense. He's very scary. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that match when, in fact, it happens. Um, Up
1: next, Hook defeats Anthony Henry, who I think a lot of people might have wanted to see a little bit more of um, in this match. But ultimately, Hook was received as a god by the Pittsburgh crowd. Didn't do too much in the way of a new spot, but he's doing actual Canonical storylines now yep. where he can just do his stuff and it leads to angles and all the rest of it. So they're kind of preserving what he can, in fact, do. He was much better running the ropes, I noticed in this match. I know that's not like yeah. a cool pop spot for Hook, like the it's no sign of the pile of drive, but it's important. Yeah, it's important. Much better running the ropes. He can explode those hips. Like, I don't know how he does it. He's yeah. just such a great athlete. The judo influence is always lovely to see. He dispatches um Anthony Henry, makes incredibly short work of him. Hook, uh, sorry, Dan Housen appears. He's fed up at this point. So over. He's incredibly <laughs> over as well. Like this is received as like the next big dream match in AEW, which is incredible for me. And he attempts Um to curse Hook. He expresses his frustration that he's not been able to do it this far. Hook Tries to do the walking past with a shoulder thing. Um, kind of gets booed for that because Danhausen is so over. And um yeah, Danhausen fails with the curse, and it's very much
0: implied that they are going to have a match soon. Yeah. If you was it he said, if you can't get cursed by Danhausen, you have to fight Danhausen. This uh so oh man. There's quite a lot to pick apart here, actually, considering it only lasted two minutes in total. Um I thought that this was Hook's worst squash so far. I didn't think it was that good. I wasn't that into it. Um, I think that Anthony Henry is a wonderful pro wrestler who I think should be making money on national TV every week. The guy's great. Um... And I'm not. I don't mistake this. Anyone listening for me saying he should have got offense on Hook. No, Hook should have ran through whoever he was facing. And I understand why they took Henry in this role because he's tremendous. He'll do a professional job. He'll do everything well. Um, but maybe use someone else for this specific role. It was just like, oh, man, like th- th- this is a total bummer. Use of of a guy like Anthony Henry. Maybe just get local indie wrestler who worked a show last week. on Peter Avalon. Peter Avalon. There you go. Perfect guy you can throw around or brian nemeth someone like that um yeah the match i don't know man like the squash for me it wasn't there it was it was kind of like a mini version of a greatest hits match and people were into it fair enough uh it just it, it didn't feel like a necessary inclusion on the show for me up until the post-match which was hilarious <laughs> like, Danhausen is not calibrated for people with my wrestling taste but the the idea right the mere idea that this Goofy man who's very very nice, very evil, holds a microphone strangely and speaks like a weird internet guy. is is mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore because the badass Muay Thai shooter or judo shooter won't allow himself to be cursed by him is so ridiculous that I cannot help be entertained by it. And Hook corpsing Dan Housen halfway through of this before realising, oh wait, I've, I've got to be the stoic guy, uh, showed kind of how much of a good time he's having with the Dan Housen stuff as well. I think that keeping the Hook locked in in this, this undercard feud at the moment is a great idea to prevent overexposure. Dan Housen is so over, ridiculously to an almost unfathomable degree, really. I've got so much respect for him and his what he's done to establish himself in the modern wrestling landscape, even if the material isn't always going to be calibrated to my tastes. Uh, it's fun and it's ridiculous and it's stuff that works when it really shouldn't. And I'm into that aspect of it, but I thought the squash was kind of
1: not it was, rubbish it just there, wasn't it?
0: yeah just to, it merely existed as a vehicle to get to there you must fight Danhausen part of the segment which was decent impression that thank you yeah. decent
1: impression ah. yeah yeah i can't disagree with any of those thoughts i'm fascinated by the crowd reaction and the match itself like they got me on the hook for this like oh. is he going to brutalize uh, there was literally no pun intended there i just said it <laughs> is he gonna brutalize Danhausen? i like. Oh, I've, I've seen whispers that they're gonna be friends in the aftermath and all the rest of it. Uh, maybe Danhausen and Team Taz, <laughs> and like Danhausen doing like this incredibly uncharacteristic display of like violence. <laughs> um, I mean, all of like maybe I'm in every single direction. This could be Danhausen. It's a
0: Ganso bomb. On yeah, someone. <laughs> like
1: you know what I mean. Like this kind of stuff could be kind of incredible.
0: I, w- I would quite like to see Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs reacting to this man. <laughs> that would be quite fun. Indeed, okay. this is a good time.
1: We get a really, I'm hesitant to use, it's a special phrase. I wouldn't describe this as deft because it's not. But I did really appreciate this little wrinkle, given what the next direction is. So, Frankie Kazarian, getting interviewed backstage. He's seconds away from calling out um, Sam Guevara as part of the, TNT title open challenge or you know the the, the the implication that they can just shoot the shot because it's not really it operates outside the ranking system and then he is interrupted by Scorpio Sky who is very respectful towards Kazarian which makes what happens next work really well somehow in spite of itself in my opinion and um, Kazarian's understanding of Scorpio Sky's desire to have the rematch and then they kind of end this sort of SCU reunion Mm.
0: amicably this was good like i i like the them having this understanding makes a lot of sense as well because people might view this and go why is a good guy being accepting of a bad guy despite their previous relationship but the the seu were total fannies like fanny heels for long portions of their run together uh, in ring of honor and elsewhere so of course frankie kazarian's gonna understand why scorpio sky has been clowning around with with Dan Lambert for months It's just nice stuff that like leans not only on the history of SEU and AEW but what they did before um it's not my line by any stretch but wrestling history is AEW history and I'm always very appreciative of that
1: yeah absolutely and it just helps flesh out the characters yeah. as characters that could conceivably exist in a fictional universe that you can believe in uh just a nice little touch We get a quick Thunder Rosa promo before um, Sammy Guevara. (laughs) Hey,
0: guys, here's your women's champion for 20 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? It's really bad, man. Really bad. Well, like, I'm not a stopwatch counter by any stretch, but we must have had, what, like, seven minutes (laughs) from the division this week or something if you you take the Jade promo, which was great in a short burst, the Thunder Rosa promo and the Brit stuff. Yeah, man. What the not a priority for for T. It really isn't, and it
1: feels like at this point it's never going to be. Um, We get Sammy Guevara and Tay Conti in the ring. Um, Guevara plays oblivious, disingenuous, and he thanks the people who support him. As for everybody else, um, he can be mad because my girlfriend's hotter than yours and all the rest of it. As you said on the news, um, he looks like a complete cock. He's doing this on purpose because at this point they now want you to think he's a cock.
0: They know where the heat comes from as well, so that's good.
1: In what is nothing less than an indictment, even if it kind of works in itself in its own warped way. Dan Lambert is now a de facto babyface. It's just a stupid, (laughs) stupid, 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 stupid thing. He says awful stuff and now he's getting cheered. I think a lot of the AEW fans pop for it all along as well, which is a little bit disconcerting for me, but whatever. Um, Ethan Page rescues this weirdly successful segment with an absolutely killer authoritative Charismatic promo in which he's just begging Sammy Guevara to shut up and things of that nature. Uh, eventually, Sky um, issues a challenge for the rematch, Um, Sammy Guevara accepts. The m- if in fact they get a mixed tag as well later down the line, which just calls into question that Paige Van Zant's heel who's been blindsiding Take On. So it's just none of this works, and yet. It's better than it was before, so it does yeah. work. It's not ideal, but it's better, I guess, if you want to really yeah. damn it with feigned praise. And then the music hits, and then Guevara goes, oh, yeah, it's a ladder match, by the way. That gets no pop. It's a really confusing production hiccup, I presume, which is really suboptimal because already you are undermining the fact that this ladder match was a breakthrough moment best singles ladder match in years and all the rest of it you're casually throwing it out me a after the first one very wwe and if yeah. you, you have to build your stipulations you kind of just is an afterthought say oh yeah, yeah it's a ladder match and she be like jesus christ a ladder match and it was the absolute opposite of that
0: yeah it's um with these guys as well at the moment it's rematch after rematch after rematch it seems with hopefully this will be the end of it hopefully we get the ladder match and then we get the um the mixed tag that they used as the bargaining chip here. Um, I assume that that will involve Paige Van Zandt obliterating Ty Conti as a heel when, when Ty's playing the heel. When we get to that, um, yeah, it's not like AEW to swim against the tide of crowd reactions for a long period of time. So I'm glad that they understood why. I mean, how could you not understand why Ty and Sammy were getting jeered as baby faces? So started last week with the the low blow before the roll up or not the roll up, but the low blow to win the title, uh, continuing last night. Um, uh, yeah. How do you end up with Dan Lambert? Who is supposed to be completely the complete antithesis of this company and its values. And, and he's Jim Cornette incarnate, and he uses language from the attitude era that that probably, you know, is suboptimal uh, to put it politely, uh, in this era of wrestling. How, how'd you get him to be a babyface? Well, it's happened again. It happened when he was opposite Brandy Rhodes uh unfortunately and it's happened again here. Um so yep, the the turn is the right move, 100%. Uh Sammy's charisma is as a heel. Uh he's much more convincing in that role, very smarmy, great face for being a heel as well. Uh we'll see how Conti does in that role. Good baby face, but we'll see how she progresses. Um but it's going to be brutal television, I think, until it's finished. I think him and Scorp can have a Scorp, like he's my mate. Uh. I, think, I think him and him and Sky uh, can have a can have a nice fun ladder match. Uh, I wasn't too into their Battle of the Belts bout, but there was loads of stupid shenanigans going on around it, and. Yeah, it's it's not my favorite thing in the company. I think you can tell from my tone here, but at least they've turned Sammy heel now. Uh, and once we're clear of this, which seems to be sooner rather than later, uh, we can move on to stuff that benefits and serves all of these characters. It's just uh, you <laughs> a big know, yawn there for, for Sammy, just, uh, Sammy.
1: I, don't, I don't mean it. I get up at four o'clock in the morning. I apologize yeah, for that. But at the end of the day, like the Blackpool Combat Club is my favorite thing in wrestling mm. at the moment. And when you have a TNT title picture so bad that it makes me think, oh, well, the Black Bull Comeback Club, my favourite thing didn't exist. We could have Danielson doing it. Don't make me resent my favourite thing, AEW, is basically the message I'm trying to put across here. There's um, a quick House of Black video promo. I've got no idea what they're talking about.
0: The, tux, the what was the There was a line here that was... Um,
1: Next week the sun dies.
0: There was another one. I can't remember what it was. It, was, it wasn't about mist or anything. It was like, so I, I can't remember. I, sh- I shouldn't I shouldn't go into it. What this
1: was, was like, Ray Phoenix is injured. The severity of his injury and the rate at which he's due to come back isn't yet known. This is filler stuff involving, of all people, Fuego Del Sol before they can finally do the House of Black versus Death Triangle trios match. Yeah. That's all it is, and uh, they should be doing if They're going to do something meaningful with these five of the six – as we've said a million times, just do Pack and Buddy Matthews yeah, to remind yeah. us all that um, this is going to happen. They are wanting to do Death Triangle versus House of Black. That's waiting for Phoenix's injury. I think that's what's happening. Because otherwise, if they're not waiting for that, why are you not doing anything with Pac?
0: Yeah, like I, I, it's just kind of a misuse of uh, an extremely exciting in-ring act with a great aesthetic, whose promos aren't usually. Up my alley as a fan, but it is what it is. Um why why can't they be having like the kind of popping trios matches that the, the Blackpool Combat Club have been having? Why can't we do like we've had a couple. We've had a couple. But like why can't we do that? Why can't we have Brody King murdering a fool in a singles match? Why can't we have Buddy versus Pac? I understand Pac's got a weird travel thing and he's the half UK, half US or whatever. But yeah, just a strange use of these guys. I think they've gone right, Malachi Black, you've got lots of ideas, spill them on this canvas. Uh, do some of your like creatively lit promos with the the big words and the spooky imagery and stuff. Um, yeah, not not a fan of the use of of the the House of Black at the moment. And that's a shame because I love all three guys and I love the. I just I, I really like the stable in general.
1: I was getting into it and now I'm getting out of it. Uh, next up was the Own Heart Foundation Cup qualifier. Doctor Britt Baker DMD defeats Danielle Camella. This was not a great match, but I will say for Danielle Camella. She's got a good grasp of controlling the crowd yeah, yeah. and um, making them genuinely despise her, which was not exactly going to be difficult when she's up against Britt Baker in Pittsburgh, but she wasn't just a body who was there. And again, it wasn't a blowaway classic match. There was one moment of like really obvious telegraphing that even commentary couldn't not point out. But, you know, she, she had something to play with, and she very much played with it. Um, some of her strikes, without not being particularly pretty, seemingly, she put some bloody welly into them, I'll give her that. Um, Baker wins, and she cuts a promo, and I would describe it politely as nowhere near her best work. If It was just odd. She seemed to trip over her words. Like, I don't know. She just didn't seem anywhere near as confident as yeah. she usually is. Yeah. I think she had a lot that she wanted to put across, and I think she had prepared maybe one too many zingers because she didn't really It felt like it was written down and she was like visibly reaching to remember the punchline and the order of the words to arrive at the punchline. Ultimately, none of this mattered because she was incredibly over and her being over in her home city allowed for that lull of the women's quarter hour to just about not happen.
0: Yeah, it was good television on account of the tremendous atmosphere, wasn't it? Um, That can carry a lot of things and... Yeah, the, the, the match itself was fine. Like we said yesterday that all Kamala really needed to do was come in and show some do some good heel stuff in a hometown. And it's a lot easier when the crowd are so invested in the other side of the match. And she's got a TV personality, yeah, Definitely, definitely. Uh, I thought she did a good job in, in in this little role here. Um weird promo. Weird promo from Britt. Just didn't seem that confident. Um couple of flubs here and there. The line about well, she, she got it mixed up and she said, uh, Jamie Hater is going to mop your face with the ring or whatever. When she was talking to Tony Storm, just, yeah, you don't expect that from Britt Baker. It's a shame. Uh, it's a flub. I'm sure when she went backstage, she was like, ah, <laughs> yeah which sucks because we hold we hold Britain very high esteem character wise particularly on the microphone so yeah a shame but like not a big deal ultimately because it was all over so who cares yeah
1: <laughs> absolutely um we then it one thing I will add just before we move on is I wouldn't given the state of the women's division over the past month have an on-screen character reference it as a disaster because yeah. that's far too to the truth. Like far too close to the truth. You're meant to sort of accentuate the positives and hide the negatives, not ruthlessly expose the negatives as Baker scripted herself to do here. Got a very quick Um Deep Shida video promo where I was overjoyed to hear Hikaru Shida express her disbelief that this match hasn't happened yet because I shared those thoughts. (laughs) So it's nice to have a character's voice reflect my own here. We go through Excalibur's incredibly quick. uh, Rampage has done a number on the traditional penultimate quarter hour rundown of the matches that are, what's he going to do on the pay-per-views?
0: Oh my goodness. This is so quick and nothing
1: registered. And it's impressive that he can do this at such a speed. It's become something of a meme that he can do it in such a speed. He shouldn't have to do it at such a speed, because not only does it sound a little bit impressively silly, impressive, but a bit silly is maybe the way to describe it. But not... That's not the problem. The problem is there's so much cool stuff. Maybe they should start peppering the announcements throughout the show.
0: Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. It's Cash
1: versus Dax. I'm so hyped on that match, and it was like he did it. he and he called it in about literally two seconds. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It feels like they're rushing through things because they have to do it rather than selling you on these mint matches that are about to happen, yeah. which is the point of this segment.
0: It's not, it felt like an obligation. This week, I wonder if maybe there was some timing issues. And this is just me speculating. Uh, I wonder if there were maybe some timing issues on this show because it did feel like he was even quicker this week. It was it just, hey, we're going to do Gar-Shina versus Serena today but we're going to do Cash and It was like breath stuff uh, and that would kind of explain why I felt the way I did about the main event as well but that again I'm just speculating on that maybe an overrun would be useful every now and then maybe indeed
1: we get the coffin match main event up next to round out the show and indeed this podcast my initial feeling when watching the match and how quickly um, the Blade and Mark when interfered was ah. Uh, I kind of just wanted to see these two go at it to tie a nice bow around all of this and for it to just end on the most thrilling note possible. The two best workers in the entire program going a nice 15 minutes to just leave the loveliest lasting impression of all of this. So when I saw the chicanery and the shenanigans immediately, I was a bit, uh... ah. Then they did something amazing. Andrade went to lift up the coffin and then... you couldn't tell if it hurt his hand or if someone had shoved it down. So I'm thinking, oh, Sting's in the coffin. My immediate <laughs> thought was Sting was in the coffin, and he'd lowered the lid, and that Andrade had jammed his finger. So I'm thinking, oh, Sting's in the coffin. That's good. Then you see someone holding up a sign saying, I'm here for Darby Allen," And then you say, all right, that's Sting. Yeah. And then he puts the sign down, and he's got the mask, and it's just this incredible Sting signature spot, the perfect use of it. So what happens here is that the fight, a multi-man schmoz fight essentially sprawls out to the uh, the stands. Sting does an incredible dive. It's all very cool. And the match makes its way back to the ring between Andrade and Darby, And what happens is that they each take it in turns to kill each other with pretty ferocious bombs. There's one particularly great German suplex counter to the coffin drop. Yes. this gets dumped on his head. There's a few nice bombs before we get pretty rushed to the finish, um, which involves the revelation that what hurt Andrade's finger wasn't sting trapping it, but the fact that it was there, the inside lid was coated with thumbtacks, the idea being that if you want to escape the coffin, you have to puncture yourself on the way to doing so. A lovely little touch, and there's a great spot where they position themselves um, by the coffin, Darby Island does an incredible suicide dive. They both land in it. This summons Jose, the assistant who takes his shirt off. Again, I love (laughs) because it's been established as something he would do. It's not an out of character decision, but it is also a stupid decision because he gets back in the thumbtacks and then Darby simply wins by putting Andrade in the coffin. It ends. I would have preferred, I think a nice 15 minute. You guys are amazing. You've got great physical chemistry, this is the end of the story. We do not need a use of seconds, but then Sting does Sting stuff, and I yeah. forgive it entirely. I was expecting quite a bit more from this, though, same. if I'm
0: being honest. Yeah, same here. I think Sting was the best thing about the match. Uh, it's just... It always works. It always works. The no-sell and then the big spot. It's perfect. It's perfect he's got the crowd in the palm of his hand every single time and it's better in 2022 when he's 60 plus and when he's got this history of of terrible injuries and when it looked like he would never wrestle again because that informs the drama of it and it makes it more fun uh and like you say the mask spot is he's been doing this for like 30 years man it's awesome it's great every time um andrade and darby for me have great physical chemistry that for me is yet to truly manifest in a world-class match uh this, fe- this simmered where it felt like it should have boiled over, and I think that's a shame. We got a couple of bombs here and there, but it felt like for long periods they were maybe skipping through periods of offense that would have made this a little bit more satisfying across the board. I think the hook with the thumbtacks is great. It's like a scene from Saul where if you want to escape this, you have to maim yourself. It's a really, really nice touch across the board Uh, I just would have liked a more substantial feud ender here it felt a little short for for what they were trying to achieve and maybe again maybe that's another sign that there was something that ran longer earlier in the show although I can't really pick what that might be maybe Punk and Dustin
1: went three minutes too
0: much yeah not for all
1: the match not to the detriment of the match but maybe to the detriment
0: of the show yes I think that's a very fair comment but uh, pretty good uh, but yeah, I mean, Sting was the best thing in this for me. Yeah, I was just really, I just, again, I keep
1: going back to that three way on rampage and how awesome it was. And I never got in the two matches they had singles wise since the same feeling of, I want to see this yeah. match a best of seven. It was kind of a best of three and I'm kind of happy with it now as it was. Are we being harsh on this main event? Did you enjoy it way more than we did? Let us know under the link to this podcast on Twitter at WWE. Whilst you're there, you can follow Andy Murray
0: at... At Andy H. Murray, the H stands for Herbert. Cool. You can follow me
1: <laughs> at M Sidgwick. And um, if you stick around your podcast feeds later today, um, you will hear the burning wrestling questions you most want answered. And if you'd like to participate, I don't know how the timings going to align here. They probably don't, but. We'll probably record another one. So just let us know at WhatCultureWWE your burning questions. Stick around for that. We'll have all the usual previews tomorrow in addition to Wrestle Culture upon the air return of Adam Wilborn. Thanks for joining us. We always appreciated it. And until then, we will see you soon.